You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on the book, The Quest for Sustainable Business, An Epic Journey in Search of Corporate Responsibility. Mythology and Pathology, Unmasking the Corporation, Meditations on Business. My encounters with the Americas, both North and South, began right at the beginning of my career, in fact when I was still a student. As I briefly mentioned at the beginning of this season, I had been matched through ISEC's International Traineeship Exchange Program to work for a few months over the spring and summer for the Royal Bank of Canada as a management trainee in the picturesque university town of Kingston, located at the mouth of the St. Lawrence River in Ontario. I spent a lot of my spare time squirreled away in the Kingston University Library, which had search access to university library databases across the whole of North America. The terms I was searching on were not sustainable development or social responsibility, but rather new age business and holistic business. There were two breakthroughs in my search. The first was discovering a remarkable book called Meditations on Business, Why Business as Usual Won't Work Anymore. The author, John Della Costa, had been a seminarian who studied for the Roman Catholic priesthood for seven years and then opted for a business career, becoming president and then CEO of one of Canada's most successful advertising agencies. In the book, he argued for a new business paradigm based on reciprocity, giving back to nature, to our people and to our society as much as we in business extract from them. Since these values are expansive, said Della Costa, extending beyond self-interest to embrace the broader needs of nature and community, I've called them spiritual. This kind of thinking really struck a chord with me, as did the themes explored more widely in the book, such as business and the quest for meaning, the dehumanizing vocabulary of business, the crumbling mythology of business, searching for new heroes, the feminine and masculine disequilibrium, the ennobling potential of business, expanding profit and human potential through art and working towards a true balance sheet, all manner from heaven as far as I was concerned. Happily, I had the opportunity to meet with Della Costa in Toronto, Among the sage advice that he gave me, and which I recorded in my diary, was follow your heart and try to infiltrate rather than confront the business community. Hence, be cautious in the use of new age concepts and terminology. The second breakthrough in my research was finding a series of booklets under the title New Age Business, Community Corporations That Work, by Canadian academic Greg McLeod. These were case studies of what McLeod called community development companies, like New Dawn Enterprises in Cape Breton, Canada, which McLeod founded, and Mondragon, the worker-led cooperative in Spain. I was especially fascinated by the Mondragon story, 
in a small town in the mountainous region of northeastern Spain, based on the teachings and initiatives of a Roman Catholic priest who taught the application of the gospel to business and the economy, one electric stove manufacturer with five employees established in 1955 and then grew into an 84,000-employee-strong worker-owned cooperative, which actively pursues a philosophy of local community development. I recommend reading the more recent reflections by Jeffrey Hollander, co-founder and former CEO of Seventh Generation and co-author of The Responsibility Revolution, who visited Mondragon and blogged on his observations. What is a corporation? I returned to Canada as part of the top 50 sustainability books research that I was conducting for Cambridge University. In Vancouver, I interviewed the legal academic and writer Joel Bacon, famed for his book and documentary film, The Corporation, The Pathological Pursuit of Profit and Power, which has won 25 international awards and been translated into numerous languages. For the rest of this episode, I want to focus on insights from this interview because I believe it gets to the heart of sustainable business, namely changing the nature of the corporation itself. For an excellent overview of CSR in Canada in more conventional terms, I recommend Dermot Hickish's chapter in the World Guide to CSR. I began by asking Bacon about the evolution of the corporation as a legal structure. He explained that the original notion of the corporation was that the sovereign power would grant the status of corporation to a group of business people in order to acquit themselves of some responsibility to create something that was in the public good. For example, an early corporation in London in the 17th century was created to transport water. So the idea was you had a public interest that needed to be met and you would create a business entity that could meet it, but under very strict guidelines. The notion that this was simply about creating wealth for the owners of the company was alien. It was really about serving some public interest. According to Bacon, the emergence of the corporation as a legal and financial tool, as opposed to a vehicle for the common good, is linked to industrialization. With the creation of the railroads in Britain and the United States, which needed massive amounts of capital, the corporation starts to become a unit that is legally separate from the people who manage it. In other words, the owners are separate from the managers and the entity itself is separate from the owners. As a result, you can have an infinite number of owners. Their role is limited to providing capital and their gain is limited to making money or having wealth created for them. But they are silent, they are invisible, they have nothing to do with running the company. The challenge then became, how do you ensure that the money is used for the investor's benefit rather than siphoned off by managers and used irresponsibly? As a result, the law developed the notion of the best interest principle, which imposed a responsibility on managers always to act in the best interests of the shareholders. Bacon explained 
that the law tended to see and continues to see the best interests of the shareholders as only one, and that is getting a financial return on the investor's investment. So what the best interest principle has done is essentially impose on managers and the corporation as a whole an obligation to put the creation of wealth above every other interest, including the interest of the environment and the interest of society. Pathological Pursuit of Profits This brings us to the central thesis of Bacon's book, the idea that a corporation is pathological. His argument depends on another aspect of corporate law, which is that it grants legal personhood to the corporation. Hence, the law creates a person in the form of a corporation, and then it requires the person always to act within its own self-interest. This is where Bacon's analogy becomes clear. If we have a person who is only able to act in his or her own self-interest in a human being, we generally call that person a psychopath. That is, in a way, what the diagnosis definition is of a psychopath, a person who is unable to understand or be empathetic towards or be concerned about other people's interests. I wondered how Bacon's views squared with the fact that companies, by their very nature and what they do, provide goods and services to meet people's needs. Not only that, but we don't see major corporations practicing wholesale abuse of their employees and other stakeholders anymore, at least not without being named and shamed if they do. Bacon was not persuaded. A company has to be sensitive to the context in which it operates, just as a psychopath does. In your own self-interest, you have to serve the interests of those around you to some degree, otherwise they'll lock you up or turn you away and have nothing to do with you. We often hear, for example, about the charm of the psychopath. Sometimes the most charming people in our society are also psychopathic. They use their charm in order to attain their own self-interests. The concern about other people's interests must be strategic. Legally, it has to be strategic in terms of serving the self-interest of the company. Hence, in the case where serving customers' best interests is not in the best interests of the company, and Bacon uses the example of Coca-Cola marketing unhealthy products, the company nevertheless has an incentive to propagate the view that it is serving other people's interests when it may not be doing so, to create and market products that may actually be very harmful to people, but convey a sense that they're not harmful, and that in fact people should like them. Social responsibility is an oxymoron. So what does this say about sustainable business? Bacon is a CSR skeptic. The so-called social responsibility that we hear about is a bit of an oxymoron, he says, because legally a corporation can't really have a responsibility to society unless it can justify the presence of such a responsibility as somehow ultimately serving its own interests in creating wealth. My scepticism about social responsibility, he says, is really driven by my sense that there's a better alternative than social responsibility, and that alternative is democratic government. 
I believe we have a better option in the form of not trying to persuade companies, pleading them to be socially responsible, but just demanding that they be so through laws, through regulation. My concern, Bacon says, is that increasingly we're living in a rhetorical and ideological world where people are putting their energies into social responsibility in a way that suggests they've given up on democratic regulation. The fundamental difficulty with social responsibility remains the fact that we haven't changed the nature of the corporation. It is and continues to be pathologically constituted, in the sense that it must still put its own interests above all others, and that makes it a very unstable kind of institution for achieving public goals and for self-regulating. You can create many environmental conditions around a psychopathic human being that are going to make him or her less psychopathic. You can monitor their activity. You can create incentives for them to be responsible and to be kind and to not engage in mass murder or whatever other things psychopaths might do. You can do all of that, but it isn't a better alternative than creating laws that say, actually, you're not allowed to murder, you're not allowed to steal, you're not allowed to exploit, and if you do, we're going to punish you. That seems to me to be more effective, says Bacon, than looking at the psychopath and saying, oh, but we should respect that psychopath's autonomy and just try to educate them and prod them and push them a little bit and hope that we can make them see that it's in their best interests not to engage in those type of behaviours. Bacon is not alone in his argument. He quotes Noam Chomsky as saying, Yes, sure, you can create various incentives to make a tyrant more benevolent, but isn't it better to do away with tyranny? Pressing home the point, Bacon observes that there were some slave owners that treated their slaves better than other slave owners. But wouldn't it be better to do away with the institution of slavery rather than to rely on slave owners to be nice? It's better to change the nature of the institution and do away with it altogether rather than simply tweaking around the edges. I agree, but I wanted to know if Bacon was suggesting doing away with sustainable business practices altogether after all, isn't there an argument that suggests that sustainable business through the ages has been a lead indicator for legislation? In other words, companies have tended to go ahead of the law as a result of stakeholder pressure or some other reason, and then governments catch up and turn the new norms into legislation. My argument, he says, was not be to get rid of social responsibility, we should continue trying to persuade corporations, whether through investor markets or consumer boycotts or through generating information and through having NGOs monitor what corporations do. We should continue all of that because with human behavior and corporate behavior, legal restrictions are not enough. You have to create a culture where people, whether as individuals or as corporate actors, actually want to comply with various social norms. So I don't see a difficulty with continuing to push the social responsibility concept. Where I have difficulty is seeing that push and that pressure as being an alternative to government regulation. I see social responsibility and government regulation as a hand-in-hand -hand proposition. 
the legal nature of the corporation. Many critics of Bacon's book and film would say that he's really overstating the points. Are companies really comparable to tyrants or psychopaths? We have companies operating all around the world that people support. At the very least, we buy their products. Surely, we see them as benevolent institutions. I asked Bacon whether the negative examples aren't the exceptions rather than the rule. This was his reply. The case I'm making is not a case against this or that company. The case I'm making is a case against an institution that is legally set up in a particular way. And I don't think anybody has criticized me for overstating the legal structure of the corporation. I think everybody would agree with how I describe it, not necessarily as a psychopath, but in terms of the primacy of wealth creation. My point is that, given the structural nature, what you've created is a potentially, not always manifest, but a potentially very dangerous institution. And I've provided examples in my book of places and times and instances where those dangers became manifest. At other times, those dangers may be less manifest and some companies may be run differently than other companies. One of the points Bacon stressed to me was that the human factor is important. He said, I don't believe that the people who run corporations are necessarily worse than the people who run many other kinds of institutions, whether it's churches or unions or whatever. I think you have some nasty people and you have some good people. And I do believe that corporations will have different cultures and will act differently, in part dependent on the type of men and women who are running those corporations. Nevertheless, it remains the case that even the best companies, and that's why I use British Petroleum as an example, because their primary imperative is to create wealth for their shareholders, they will do some bad things. I think Bacon's conclusion sums up his message quite nicely. He says, my book is really a caution. It's not saying every company in the world is wreaking havoc. It's not saying that companies aren't providing important and useful services. It's not saying any of that. What it's saying is that in certain conditions, given the nature of this institution, it can act in pretty dangerous ways. And many of those conditions are currently in place. And many of those dangerous behaviors are currently manifest. We don't often hear about them because the media isn't that good necessarily at revealing how dangerous they are. Despite Bacon's central thesis about the pathological nature of corporations, he remains optimistic. He says, I suppose what gives me the most hope is that we're moving in the right direction. My sense that there is a palpable desire among people on the ground. It is created in part by a sense of need and a sense that their lives are degrading as the income and wealth gap widens and as the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, as people see environmental effects actually happening, as the media turns on to this, I think that there is a sense among people that there are problems that need to be dealt with and we can't simply proceed with business as usual. There's a broadening public consciousness around these issues. So that palpable sense that things need to be different is probably what causes me the greatest optimism.